Own Your Creativity, Episode 1. People say, how do you find the time to write? I say, you know, it's just like exercise. You don't actually find the time to write. You make the time to write if it's a priority for you. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. Hello, this is the Own Your Creativity podcast, and today we're going to be talking to Bill O'Hanlon. Bill has authored or co-authored 36 books, the latest being Out of the Blues, Six Non-Medication Ways to Relieve Depression that was published by Norton in April of 2014. He has published over 60 articles or book chapters, and his books have been translated into 16 languages. He has appeared on Oprah with his book Do One Thing Different, The Today Show, and a variety of other television and radio programs. Since 1977, Bill has given over 3,000 talks around the world. Bill is a licensed mental health professional, certified professional counselor, and a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. We've known each other for a few years, and we share writing in common and books in common, don't we? Yes, we do. It's just so great, though, to be able to sit down and talk to you in this forum. So we know a little bit about you now from the intro that I just read, but I think I'd like to turn it over to you now. And if you could just share with us a little bit more about who you are and in what your personal life is like. Well, it's my personal life is a little different than it used to be, but um, I started out as a psychotherapist, and I always joke with the emphasis on psycho. I was a kind of an unusual psychotherapist because I was warped by a guy named Milton Erickson, um, who was a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, and he was just the most creative guy I have ever met. Uh, he if he found a way to solve a problem, like somebody came in with agoraphobia or, or depression or whatever, he would never use the same intervention with a, a next person that came in with that same problem. And that was both daunting to study with because, wow, you know, you have to come up with a new thing for every person that comes in and inspiring. So when, because we're going to be talking so much about creativity here, he was an early model for me of massive creativity, which was, again, both intimidating and also inspiring. And so I went on to, once I studied with him while I was in graduate school, becoming a psychotherapist, I started to challenge my professors who were sort of stuck in the old paradigms. And I developed, I was very shy, but I developed this passion for teaching. And as you say, I've gone around the world and taught 3,000, given 3,000 presentations. And it made me and helped me develop my ideas to stand up in front of people and speak. And uh, I, I live a creative life. And my personal life used to be very busy. And in the last five, four or five years, I decided I was too busy. And I moved my work online. And I have massive amounts of time and space to be more creative and I've recently moved into a career as a in my dotage as a professional songwriter so wow that's amazing you know I think it's so important for us to make that decision to have more of whatever it is that we want in our life you know I think so many of us get caught up in doing what we think we should be doing and then before we realize it there's all these other things that we thought we would do and we didn't but we actually have to make time for that and that's what you did 
Well, I think that's right. You know, and you and I both write uh, books and, you know, I've written a bunch of books. And people say, how do you find the time to write? I say, you know, it's just like exercise. You don't actually find the time to write. You make the time to write if it's a priority for you. And for me, I think as for you, I had to write. I had to write my stuff and I made it a priority. And, and yeah, that changes in different parts of our lives. Sometimes we want to exercise. Sometimes we want to spend time with our kids. Sometimes when love is new, we want to spend time with our partner or whatever it may be. But yeah, I think uh, I've put a priority on making time and space for creativity because it's such a central part of my life. So what is your definition of creativity then? I think two things. You know, I coach people to write books. After writing so many books, people, oh, how do you do it? How do you do it? And Okay, I'll coach you. And one of the things that I think is the biggest challenge for people, wasn't for me, but um, for people that I coach, is coming up with some new slant on things. So that's one of my definitions of creativity. You know, I, I don't I don't know how many people have come to me for coaching and training who say, oh, I want to write a book about getting in touch with your soul and following your true direction in life and making your real contribution. I'm like, yeah, that book's been written about 3,000 times. Now, that's a great idea. Now, what's your slant on it? So, you know, and some people have a challenge with that and some people don't. But I think that's one of the definitions is your own unique slant. Uh, years ago, I heard this story about the physicist Leo Zillard, who worked on the atomic bomb and then later had misgivings about that and became a peace activist and things. He was an interesting character and he was talking to another physicist friend of his, a guy named Hans Beta, and he said, Hans, Leo Ziller said, Hans, I've decided to keep a diary to record the facts of the universe for God. And Hans Beta said, Leo, don't you think God already knows the facts of the universe? And Leo Zillar said, yes, but not this version. And I've always liked that story uh, in terms of creativity because every one of us is unique as our fingerprints in terms of our perspective on things, our voices when we write. And if we can free up that unique perspective and unique voice that we have. That's part of creativity. I think the other definition I have is not that exciting, but it's just birthing something new. Something new comes into the world that was never there before, and it came through you. And that's creativity for me. I like the combination of, of those two definitions. I think that uh, I think one of the first tasks that we have as writers or artists is to f kind of scratch back all of those cliches and everything that um, is kind of on the top of our vision and, and getting down to the core of what how we see the world. Uh, I had a, a professor who once said to me um, when I told him that uh, I took poetry with him and when I told him I was going to be working on the student newspaper and he said, well, that's a good thing to do. We all have a certain amount of bad writing in us and it's a good idea to get it out of the way as soon as possible. <laughs> yes. yes. So can you give us an example of how creativity manifests itself in your life currently? Well, as I mentioned, I've, I've done songwriting since I was 16. And um, I so I do a lot of music and a lot of songwriting. I play music for an hour or two a day and I write um, 
pretty regularly. And uh, I'm writing a novel at this moment. I'm, uh, I love storytelling in general. And so I have some you know, YouTube videos on storytelling. I have a little site, you know, it's a stories of possibility and change or change and possibility. I can never remember which. And I do. And one of the things that happens is that, you know, it's a little difficult to talk about creativity. And, you know, I, I admire you for taking this on because for me, it's a very mysterious process. It's, it's like that old, I think it's probably a Grimm's fairy tale. I don't know who, what fairy tale. It's this cobbler that's very poor. And one night he goes to sleep and the next morning he wakes up and there's a new pair of boots that have been made during the night. He has no idea how they got there, but they're magnificent boots. And somebody comes by a store with some money and buys these boots for more money than he's ever sold anything. And night after night, new shoes and new boots show up and he becomes really popular in the town. But he gets curious. And one night he waits up instead of falling asleep and he sees these elves are making boots overnight and as soon as they see that he's seen them they never show up again and i always think about that with creativity it's like i better not look under the hood too much because creativity just happens when i get out of the way and so i try to make myself available for creativity in a certain way and i have some particular techniques but uh I've arranged my life so I have lots of time and space, whereas before it would show up and sometimes I wouldn't be available for the creativity that showed up because I was busy doing something else. Yeah, yeah. I think there needs to be a lot of contemplative time, fallow time, just Mm, doing nothing time. Yeah, That's a really good word because sometimes I do feel I'm sort of tapped out and I have to either have input or quiet or time and space. And then creativity shows up much more vigorously after that. Yeah. yeah. Can you take us to a moment in time when you most felt the negative effects of not being connected to some sort of creative thing in your life and tell us what that story is about? Well, I'll give you a little apocryphal story that represents all those times for me. And I, uh, you mentioned that I traveled around the world and spoke, and I used to travel overseas a fair amount. And I went to England a lot for some reason. I just had some connections there. And one day I was teaching a kind of therapy called brief therapy, which was kind of controversial when I started it. It was very short term, and most therapy was very long term at the time, years and years. And this was weeks or months, very, very brief therapy. And so I get to London and I'm about to teach and um, I just about to start and the organizer of the workshop comes up and says, oh no, that's never a good thing to hear right before you speak. There's a guy in the front row who's an analytic psychiatrist. He does long-term therapy and he comes to our brief therapy workshops And he always basically asks these challenging, hostile questions because he hates brief therapy, but he keeps coming. So I'm like, oh, great. You know, so not a good thing to hear just before I go out. And I go out and the the workshops in England start at 10 o'clock. They start at a very late hour. So 10 to 1130 before I have our first break, I find myself being very strident, very, you know, shrill trying to convince this guy in the front row that brief therapy is a pretty good thing to do and it's not evil and not terrible and i'm doing a terrible job and finally at 11:30, they have a break and the english will want a half an hour for tea so we have tea and i kind of pull myself together and i think you know 
there are 50 people at this presentation and I'm speaking to one person. The other 49 are getting ripped off because usually I do a really good job and it just flows for me and it's creative and I know what I'm going to say, the broad outline, but I can improvise within it. It's fun and it's lively and it's great, you know, and so I'm not doing that now. I'm just restricted, I can tell. And I went back and just thought, I'm going to teach to those other 49 people. And if this guy comes along, that's great. He didn't say a word all day. At the end of the day, he came up and said, I found this really interesting. It's the first time I've understood brief therapy. Thank you. And he left. And I thought, that is the apocryphal story for me. If you try too hard and you're pushing the process too much, it shuts you down. And so that's happened to me in various times. I mean, you know, you mentioned that I've written 36 books. I would send out my books to my best friends when I first wrote them and say, tear these apart because I want this book to be the best it could be before it goes out in the world and gets published. And they would take me up on it. At first, it was like, oh, wow, they were really harsh, you know, but that's okay. I kind of recovered my ego and went on and took their suggestions when they were right. When two or three of them agreed, they were almost always right. And sometimes I didn't take them, but for the most part, I did. I w- the books became better and better as time went on. But at the same time, I was writing songs and I was so perfectionistic about the songs and so defensive about the songs. I would never change a word because it had come divinely inspired and I wasn't going to change anything. And I had to wait till I got the right equipment. And I think that like that experience in London is you're so pressured to do it perfectly that you don't do it at all or you don't improve because you're defensive about it. And so I think that's the conditions for non-creativity, having to do it perfectly, having to do it right. You know, the, the classic thing is, you know, Annie Lamott says, write a crappy first draft. She uses a little stronger language, but write a crappy first draft and then you can get to the better stuff. And I think just freeing yourself from all that pressure to be right and to get it exactly right or have a finished version at the very beginning, that's my kind of non-creative moments that I can remember. Yeah, I I can so relate to that. That when uh, when you're forcing it, it's it's the time to go for a walk, <laughs> you know, yes. or do something different. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> so, did you have an aha moment? You know, a time when you realized that um, you had to uh, own your creativity um, and 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 switch direction. Well. No, not really. But I can tell you a moment when I realized something about creativity. I, you know, I'm, as I said, I've, I've written a lot of books. And one time I was talking to my partner at the time, my romantic partner and a friend of hers, and they were both lamenting the fact that they'd never written a book. And both of them, I said, well, what's stopping you? And they said, well, I don't think I have anything new to say. And I just looked at them with just you know, wonder in my eyes. I said, I've never had that thought in my life. And now that I've coached a lot of people and I've coached over 200 books into publication, I've heard that from so many people, this, I have nothing new to say. And to me, that's almost the point of writing is that I have something new to say and I really want to get it out in the world. And I've never had that doubt that I have something new to say because 
you have something new to say, that everyone who's listening to this has something new to say. Maybe there's nothing new under the sun, but we all have our individual takes on it. And I realized, oh, that's why I haven't had so many blocks about creativity, because I just figure everybody is has a contribution to make and is creative if they don't get in the way. Yeah, if they don't get in the way of, of their creativity. So when people come to you to be coached uh, to write their books and and have they said, oh, I don't know that I really have anything new to say. Have they said that to you? And what do you say to yes. them? I say, well, then you need to find the new thing you have to say. And you need to convince me and your readers and the publishers and agents, if you're going that direction, that you have something new to say. So run it by us. Don't just sit there and doubt yourself. Put something down on paper, you know, and we'll look at it. And I'll say, I've seen that before. What else you got? Or, you know, tell me something that you disagree with about everybody else's slant on this. Or, you know, there are various ways to get it out of them. But I think mostly they're wrong that often they do have something new to say. They're just doubting themselves. Mm -hmm. Something that you've been doing more of, you said, was doing your songwriting. Yes. And you've been posting them on Facebook and sharing them with, uh, yes. with your, your fans there. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Well, that is actually com just completely congruent with what we were just talking about because I had this perfectionistic thing. I have to get the right equipment. I have to sing it perfectly. I have to get in the right studio to get it, you know, and I just thought, okay, forget that. I've got to get over that because I don't have that about my writing, my my narrative writing, but my songwriting I do and my playing and, and singing I do so I'm just going to post every day I mean you're doing this podcast regularly and at first it's pretty pressured but after you do 5 or 10 or 15 or however many you do you get a lot more comfortable doing it and you're more yourself and that's what I found when I was speaking is that weirdly it takes a lot of work to become yourself when you're, when you're in front <laughs> of That's a great line. <laughs> you know, it really does. It was surprising to me. But you're, you always feel that performance pressure at first, that sort of self-judgment and thinking about others' judgments of you. So one of the things I just made myself do is I'm going to sit down and record a song a day. They're not all my original songs. I play other people's songs. And I know about 600 songs by heart. And I play them around my house and they sound fantastic. And then I get the camera on to do this thing on Facebook or YouTube. And all of a sudden I just freeze up and I'm thinking, you got to get over that, Bill. Just do it, put it out. Don't put it out terribly. You know, if it's bad, do it over again. But, you know, do it doesn't have to be perfect and just put it out every day. And the, the, the responses I've gotten have been great. Only one smart, snarky comment so far. Someone said, I went to one of his workshops about speaking and he should go back to that and forget this. Oh, that's kind of harsh. And he said, Oh, I didn't know you'd see that. It was on someone else's page. They reposted it. And I said, well, you know, that's okay. I just wanted to know that was a little harsh. And my feelings I'm so sorry. I thought your workshop was so great and uh you know i was just in a bad mood he was really nice so i i expected more snarky comments because when you put stuff on youtube you always get that but on facebook people are a little nicer because they they actually show up as themselves not some anonymous cranky person so, so you're doing this on youtube as well i didn't realize that yeah some of them go to youtube and some of them don't so, that's a, yeah. yeah wow so um one of the things that you posted though was that initially you weren't sure to do this 
but that you realize now that it was the right choice to post these uh, videos of your songs on definitely on the-, the right choice but that actually was a little different i i had a i i have uh, i have four kids three step kids and a biological kid and one of them died and i was posting a song a day and i thought oh i'm not going to do it anymore this is just weird you know and to be posting after my son died he overdosed he was uh, troubled for many years and he overdosed and died and it was quite a blow to me and my my partner my fiance said you have to keep doing your songs of the day and I chose appropriate ones and it was extraordinary the connectivity that you know the internet can be disconnective or connective and in this case it was really connective and very healing music is partly how I process things and I said to people you know I wasn't sure I should keep doing this and putting it out but you've been so supportive and it's created a bit of a connection community around this music and it's helped me a great deal move through my grief and shock as you know he was 29 I just didn't expect this so um yeah, it was really powerful to do that in a public way. And I think writing, I, I suspect for you and for some of the people that are listening, writing has been therapeutic for me doing it and expressing myself. And I work things through through writing and through you know prose and narrative. And I also work things through through music. So I think that that's part of the wonder of creativity. It's transmutive of our emotions and our experiences. Yeah, I think it can be so cathartic and healing. Yes. And, and yes. that's, you know, one of the things that I would, I was in such admiration for your courage. You know, like Matisse says that creativity takes courage. And here you were doing that in being creative, but also in, in a healing modality. And I just found that so inspirational. Thank you. So we come to the last segment of the show and it's called the creative surge segment the and rapid these, questions rapid fire questions. that's right and just really short answers okay, good. <laughs> so what is the best advice you've ever received well from that um, mentor of mine milton erickson the psychiatrist i mentioned he said to me one time and it really made an impression on me if you fall on your face at least you're heading in the right direction <laughs> oh my goodness share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success well, one of the things is I have so many creative ideas, I really have to capture them or they fly. You know that thing and you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, I'll remember yeah. that in the morning and you don't. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I ha- always have a little notebook and a pen with me 24-7. I always have that. And these days I also do electronic capturing of it. I have this I, – I use Dropbox, but I found this app called Dropbox, V-O-X – instead of Dropbox, and I can just speak into my iPhone, and it goes right up into my Dropbox, and it's saved forever, and then later I go and label it what it was. And then I use Evernote to capture all those ideas once I transpose them. If they're musical, I just put them in a different uh, folder. But I use capturing devices, and that really, really helps, And in addition to having the space and time to spend time on creativity. Those two are probably the best habits that I've developed. Wow, that's a really neat um, uh, capturing system that you have. I've never heard of the – it's Dropbox? Dropbox is this cloud service, and Dropbox is a – Vox, I- V-O-X. Okay. V-O-X is the, uh, is the Apple uh, iPhone or Android um, app that captures oh. your ideas. Just you speak them, and it uploads them in the next minute. So that's oh, great. Oh, that's so Love cool. That. Yeah. What person inspires you to be creative? Uh, 
again, probably my uh, mentor who was massively creative, but uh, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art, every time I read that, I think, okay, I can do this. I can do whatever hard creative project I've taken on. Um, Bob Schneider is a songwriter that I find. He's a songwriter, painter, poet. That I, He's down in Austin, just extraordinarily creative guy. And he, he does this thing where he has a group of songwriters and he gives one phrase per week or month i think it's probably per month and sends it out to a bunch of songwriter friends and everybody has to write a song with that even if it's a crappy song and so he kind of forces himself and others to be creative i love that wow that's great yeah it's sort of like a mastermind for artists or sing you know songwriters. I, that's right and yeah. sort of writing prompts too it's a little mm-hmm. like a combination of those yeah mm-hmm. definitely and they then they have to share that song with the whole group by the end of the month or they're out of the group <laughs> Oh my goodness! Wow. (laughs) Even if it's a crap song, you just have to write it. I love that. (laughs) So, what's your favorite work of art? It can be any type of art. That's hard to to to, um, pin down, but uh, movie American Beauty. I love that movie. I think it has layers after layers. I can watch it again and again. I have a weird, obscure book that is so inspirational. It's like the War of Art for me. It's called The Mighty Adam. It's this guy who is weak and almost died when he was a kid and became the strongest man in the world that did impossible things and his name was joseph greenstein and he his his stage name was the mighty adam it's out of print now but if you can get an out of print copy the mighty adam terrific book and then a book about my mentor was called uncommon therapy which was inspiring and depressing because i thought i'll never be like this guy but he's totally inspiring and totally creative my my mentor milton Ayers. oh wow and a favorite quote that inspires you Ah, there's this French uh, philosopher that I like, and uh, it's Emile Chartier, and it's the quote is, nothing is as dangerous as an idea when it's the only one you have. Oh, goodness, that's great. <laughs> Apropos to creativity, I guess, in life and in your creative work. Yeah. yeah, oh my goodness. It's been so wonderful to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Bill O'Hanlon. And if you know someone you think I should interview, do get in touch with me through my website, www.ownyourcreativity.com. Also, if you want a fun and easy way to kickstart your creativity, then join us in the free five-day writing challenge that I'm hosting on Facebook. The deadline to sign up is March 16th at noon. To sign up, go to the following link, bit.ly forward slash Celtic Challenge. So that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash C-E-L-T-I-C-C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Rye Taylor, audio storyteller, alligator wrestler, and online entrepreneur. Until next time, own your creativity. Own your creativity.